Thank you very much to our worship team. As I mentioned before, our worship leader, Jen, uh, is on vacation and took her husband, Brian, the drummer, and, Jen, er, and Joey, also our lead guitarist, is not here. But So thank you to John and Karen and David for stepping up uh, and serving God and, and his church. So thank you there. So as, uh, and as, as also John mentioned earlier, uh, Cody was in the hospital. I went to go visit Cody as he uh, had his appendix removed. Um, and I was talking with Neola while there, and she asked me if I enjoy being a pastor and if it's what I thought it would be like. And I can honestly say that I have truly enjoyed uh, serving here uh, as the pastor at North Hills. Um, as we flip the new cal- to the new month of the calendar, it's already June. This is my sixth month that I've been here. Not a full six months, but it's the sixth month I've been here. And it seems like time has flown by. Part of it seems like time has flown by, but part of it seems like I've been here forever. Uh, which, which is not, not a bad thing. I, I couldn't imagine myself without you guys and without uh, this church. And uh, Truth be told, ever since I was in elementary school, I had it kind of narrowed down to what I wanted to be. I either wanted to be a pastor or a gym teacher, ever since I was really in elementary school. <laughs> yes, a gym teacher. Uh, and it was up until fourth grade uh, where, unfortunately, uh, my gym teacher uh, killed his girlfriend and committed suicide. Um, left, yeah, left quite an impression on me as a kid. Um, and so that kind of ended my desire to be a gym teacher. Um, but, uh, so ever really, ever since fourth grade, I kind of always wanted to be a pastor and, uh, my grandpa was a big influence uh, on me as well as he was my pastor, uh, growing up. And so again, I truly enjoyed, uh, being a pastor here at North Hills. Um, and that's true without even being able to experience the greatest joy yet in being a pastor. In my opinion, the greatest joy in being a pastor, well, in my opinion, is being able to guide someone uh, through the waters of baptism. And I have yet to experience that, uh, but lo and behold, uh, we're, we're walking through three youth right now uh, who want to get baptized, and uh, that makes me very happy and very excited that three of our kids here uh, want to devote their life to God and, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and uh, commit their life through the waters of baptism. And, and that makes me very happy and very excited. And as, as I get these kids ready for baptism, uh, I send them home uh, a fairly thick packet, um, and uh, they, they cover three basics. They, it covers the basics of God, the basics of Jesus, and the basics of baptism. And sometimes we, even mature Christians, we, we can kind of skip over the basics of God or the basics of Jesus or the basics of baptism. And that's how so many people have so many different ideas as to who God is or who Jesus is or what baptism is all about. And it's so important for us to have a basic understanding as far as who God is and who Jesus is. For Jesus stated in John seventeen three that it's eternal life to know God and Jesus Christ. It's eternal life to know the only true God and to know his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. It's so important for us to have this, this understanding, this basic knowledge of who our God is and who Jesus Christ, our Savior, is. And so with that said, today we're going to start a new series 
um, entitled All About God. We'll talk about, we'll have a series about Jesus covering the basics of who Jesus was in his ministry later on. Um, but now we're going to cover a series uh, called All About God, and it's going to last a handful of weeks. And each week we're going to cover a different aspect of God. And this morning we're going to cover a very important aspect of God, and that's the idea that God is one. God is one. He's not two, he's not three, but he is one. And God being one is such an important idea for Christians, important for us to understand. And and a part of that importance comes from the Jews and the Old Testament. And uh, we we see that it was very important to them as Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I know we've looked over uh, this passage before, but again, this is the single most important passage uh, for, for the Jews. Uh, the Jews' Bible is, is the Old Testament. That's, that's their scriptures. And the most important piece of scripture that they have is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It's known as the Shema, which means listen or hear. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, clearly states that hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And again, I imagine a good number of you guys are familiar with this passage uh, as it's extremely important. It's extremely important for us and our faith. It's so important that while I was at the Bible college, uh, one of my teachers uh, made us uh, memorize this verse in Hebrew. Now, I don't know a lick of Hebrew, but this is the one verse in the Old Testament that I actually do know in Hebrew. It's Shemai Israel, Yahweh Aleheinu, Yahweh Echad. Say, re- repeat after me. Shemai Israel, Shemai Israel. You guys thought I was kidding. No, we're actually going to do this. Shemai Israel, Yahweh Aleheinu, Yahweh Echad. Very good. Yes, aha. Yes, kind of in the back of your throat like you're clearing your throat. There you guys go. Now you guys are pretty much the Hebrew expert that I am. So <laughs> congratulations there. Um, but Shemai Israel, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Ahad, it clearly uh, just means here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. And not many Christians, I don't know of any Christian out in the world who will deny the fact that God is one. I, I don't know of any Christian out there who will deny this fact because it's, it's stated over and over throughout the scriptures that God is one. Fourteen times in the Bible, it, it explicitly states that God is one. Eleven times in the Bible, it explicitly states that God is the only God. And 20 times, it explicitly states that there is no other God. You can't get around this fact that God is one. He's one. He's not two. He's not three. There's not four gods, not five gods, but there's one singular God. His name is Yahweh. That that is the God that we come to worship here this morning. God. There's none other. God is one. And, and, And again, I'm not sure of any Christian out there who will deny this fact that God is one. The problem that some of us may run into uh, is the interpretation of what it implies when we say God is one. Now, now when we say God is one, uh, it's simple. Yeah, God is one. There's only one God. He is the only God. There, there's no other God. God is one. 
Now, I know uh, a lot of people will say that, yeah, God is one, but he's three in one. And, and I'll, I'll let you guys know that this gets messy fairly quickly. Where they say, yeah, God is one, um, but he's three in one. Because you can't get away with the fact that God is one. But again, many people will say, yeah, he, he's one, but he's three in one. Now, the Jews, they were strictly monotheistic. The, the idea that they believed in one God. And the Jews, they, some of them don't get along the best with Christians nowadays. And that's because the Jews think it's like the biggest heresy in the world that some Christians worship God as three and one because the Jews are strictly monotheistic. They think God is God alone and nobody is equal with their heavenly father, with Yahweh. And so the Jews, they, some of them don't get along the best uh, with, with Christians nowadays because many Christians hold this idea that God is three and one. And so we can see Jesus actually confronted a Jew on this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we can see Jesus' encounter with this in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, the second book of the New Testament, here again, Jesus confronting a Jew, and again, a Jew being one who believes that God is one and there's no other equals, there's no other God but Yahweh alone. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34, we actually went over uh, this scripture when we went over uh, our relationship status with God, with uh, others, um, and with ourselves. But we'll read it again in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. It starts, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? So again, this scribe or a Jew is coming to Jesus and, and he, he, he's looking at the, the whole Old Testament, all these books, and he, he says, Jesus, what is the most important commandment out of all of these commandments? And Jesus answered in verse 29, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So when the scribe asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment? He, he quotes it directly from the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Again, Jesus didn't just come up with this idea. He, he quoted it directly from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. And many people, when they think of the greatest commandment, they, a lot of people can quote, yeah, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. But a lot of people skip over what Jesus said here in, in verse 29. Where he says the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God the Lord is one. I mean, Jesus includes that in the most important commandment, having this understanding that God is one, that Yahweh is our God and he is one. There's no other God besides Yahweh. And so many of you guys may be familiar with that, but I want to take notes of the Jews' response to Jesus' answer here and then Jesus' response to the Jews' response. So in verse 32, it says, and the scribe said to him, and you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. 
And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So again here, Jesus talking to a Jew. And again, Jews, um, they, they think the, the doctrine of the Trinity just the biggest heresy um, in the world. And so Jesus confronts this Jew about this passage. And this Jew tells Jesus, you're right, teacher, you're right, Jesus. You're correct in saying that God is one. Now when the Jew reads this, they, they understand it as saying God is one. And there's no other God, no other God with God. There's nobody else equal with God. For he is one and there's only one God. That's what the Jew understands when he reads this. And this would have been the perfect time for Jesus to correct the Jews' uh, thinking about this doctrine of God being one. This would have been the perfect time for Jesus to say, yeah, God is one, but actually, he's three in one. And actually, I'm part of of the Godhead, and and I'm equal with our Heavenly Father. That would have been the perfect time for Jesus to clearly demonstrate this, this doctrine of the Trinity. But here, Jesus, he says in verse 34, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus tells this this scribe that he is not far from the kingdom, that he answered wisely. He was wise in understanding that God is one and that it's simple. It's simple when we say God is one, God is one. There's no other being or person or or heavenly being that is equal with God. For God is on a pedestal all by himself. There's no equals with God. There's none other. God is one. He is the only God. And there is no other God. And so again, when we're talking about this importance idea and talking about all about God and understanding this aspect of God being one, I don't know of any Christians out there who will deny the fact that God is one. But again, the problem we run into is how people interpret what God being one really means. And so that's what we need to take a look at this morning. As I'm not sure uh, that really any of us will confront a religious people in our life uh, who, believe, who was a polytheistic, who believes that there are multiple gods. The main religions of this are Hinduism and Buddhism, and th- these are more common, more common people in Asia, like especially in India for Hinduism. Does anybody know uh, a Hindu or a Buddhist? Yeah, I, I didn't think so because there's not many of them are around here in the United States. We're not going to come in contact with many people there. So that's not really going to be my, my focus on for uh, this morning message and talking about God being one. But my focus uh, that I want to focus on here this morning is the interpretation or, or what it implies that God is one. Because again, as I, as I said, no Christian is going to deny the fact that God is one. But many Christians have many different ideas as what that really means of, of God being one. And so we're going to take a look at this. And, uh, and we're not even going to mention uh, this morning problems uh, such as uh, uh, when talking about the Trinity, problems such as uh, God can't die, but Jesus died. Uh, God can't be tempted, but Jesus was tempted. Uh, the word Trinity uh, never even occurs in um, the Bible. So, so there's many problems with that, but people who say that God is three in one, they rely on the fact or the idea that Jesus is equal with God. And that's what I want to take a look at this morning. Is Jesus equal with God? 
And again, many people may have different ideas as far as if Jesus is equal with God, if he is part of the Godhead. But to help answer this question, I want to look at the words of Jesus himself and and look at the thoughts of Jesus himself. So if we have the the PowerPoint up there, we're going to go over five reasons that show that Jesus is not equal with God from the lips and thoughts of Jesus himself. So we're going to look at five reasons as to why Jesus is not equal and not just going off different people's ideas and thoughts and what they say, but actually looking at what Jesus himself said and seeing that we can base our ideology and doctrines around the words of Jesus himself. And so the first point is that Jesus said, my father is greater than I. My father is greater than I. He, he said that in John chapter 14 and verse 28. He's talking to his disciples. He says, my father is greater than I. And now this is uh, basic mathematics. You, you, can't, you can't have something that is greater than something else and be equal at the same time. The number three cannot be greater than the number two and equal the number two at the same time. It, it's physically impossible to be greater than something and equal to something at the same exact time. And here Jesus says that my father is greater than I. Jesus clearly states that God is greater than himself. He's not equal with God. Point number two, Jesus called Yahweh or, or God my God both before and after he was resurrected. And we're gonna, you can see the verses up there. Uh, we have verses to support uh, the, these ideas. Um, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to uh, actually flip through it and read all these verses. But if you're taking notes, uh, these are great verses uh, to take note of as we uh, very quickly breeze by this. As I don't think you guys want to sit here and uh, listen to me talk for a number of hours. I would love to if you would. Uh, come, on, come on over. Come on over to my house. Uh, Jamie will love that. And so Jesus called Yahweh my God both before and after he was resurrected. And calling someone else God, again, puts them above yourself. And some people will claim that Jesus, before he was resurrected, uh, he, he was kind of like uh, in this human nature state. But after he was resurrected, after he had his resurrected body, he was then equal with God. However, Jesus, both before and after he was resurrected, called Yahweh, our God, his God as well. In Matthew, in Matthew 27, verse 46, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's talking to his God. Jesus has a God as well, the same God that we have. In John chapter 20, verse 17, uh, this is after Jesus uh, was resurrected, and he's talking to Mary um, after he was resurrected, and he was still roaming on the earth for 40 days. And uh, Mary was clinging to, to, to Jesus, and Jesus says, Why are you clinging on to me? For I have not yet ascended to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Jesus had the same God and the same Father as Mary, the same God and the same Heavenly Father as we do. Jesus still had a God after he was resurrected, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, uh, we, we see a vision of John, and uh, four times uh, Jesus calls God, my God. My God, yada, 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 my God, yada, 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 my God, yada, 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 my God. Four times in one verse, four times, Jesus, a vision of Jesus in, in heaven. He says, my God, my God, my God, and my God. 
He still has a God. And you, and you can't have a God and be equal to them at the same time. Next point, point number three. Jesus can do nothing without God. And again, I'm about to, or I, I really am a parent now, and I'm about to uh, parent a child for uh, my very first time in my life. Hopefully not the last, hopefully first of six. That's my hope still. Uh, but I, I can't help but think of, uh, yeah, she, I hear people looking. She's not here. Her baby's already causing a fuss for, for my wife. Shame on you, Bubbles, causing my wife a fit. <laughs> I shouldn't be shaming my child already. He's not even out of the womb yet, or she. I always do that. I always say he, but it could be a she as well. It's Bubbles. We don't know. But when Bubbles comes out of the womb, uh, he slash she will be completely dependent upon Jamie and I to take care of, of him slash herself. It will be completely dependent upon us. If Jamie and I, if we didn't take care of the baby, then the baby would die of starvation or, or die of thirst. It's completely dependent upon us. Bubbles will be able to do nothing without the help of Jamie and I. And a similar idea with Jesus. Jesus himself stated that he can do nothing without God. Jesus can do nothing without God. A similar idea as to a baby not being able to do anything without their parents. And we see this in John chapter 5, verse 19 and 30. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. And again, here, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews saying, I can do nothing on my own accord, but only what, what my father, what my God has told me to do. In John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. John 12, 49 says, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. Jesus did nothing on his own. The, the, the ministry, the, the preaching that he did, it all came directly from God. As Jesus clearly said in John 5, 19, that the Son can do nothing of his own accord. Jesus can do nothing without God. He's a created being just like you and I. He can do nothing without God. Without God, he wouldn't even exist. He wouldn't even exist. He can do nothing without God, just like a baby can do nothing without their parent. The fourth, the fourth point in talking about how Jesus is probably not equal with God through the lips and, and thoughts of Jesus himself Point four, Jesus recognized the Father as the only God. Jesus himself knew that his Father was the only God, and there was none other. In John chapter 17, uh, verse 3, uh, Jesus says, It's eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He says, you are the only true God. This is the high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying before, uh, the, the night before he was to be uh, crucified. And Jesus is praying. And he says, this is eternal life for, you, for the people to know that you are the only true God. Jesus himself saying that God is the only true God. And he says this again in John chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus recognized that God, that Yahweh, our Heavenly Father, was the only true God. And finally, point five, uh, Paul states that Jesus did not count equality with God. 
So after Jesus' ministry, earthly ministry, came to a conclusion, Paul was writing a letter in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul, Paul's talking about Jesus and say that Jesus did not count equality with God. Jesus did not count equality with God. These are the lips and thoughts of Jesus himself. Jesus saying that he can do nothing without God. Jesus saying that uh, God is the only God. Jesus saying that uh, Yahweh, his heavenly father, was his God, my God. Jesus saying that the father is greater than I. It seems pretty clear to me that Jesus was not equal to God. Jesus was not equal to God. This is from the lips of Jesus himself. So we're talking about God being one and what it means. Let's look to the words of Jesus himself. As Jesus himself did not consider to be equal with God. So, so I wonder why people nowadays are trying to make Jesus equal with God when Jesus himself did not consider to be equal with God. The truth is simple. This word, the Bible that we have, it's not meant to be a message where only the scholars can interpret it and understand it. It's a simple message. It's a simple message. Jesus' followers, they were fishermen. A lot of them were fishermen. They had no education. They couldn't read. This message was meant to be simple. And it is simple. God is one. God is one. When I say I, I have one Bible up here, that means I have one Bible. Why change the meaning of one when, when we're talking about God? God is one. God is one. We, we know what one means. We all know what one means, so why try to confuse the meaning of one when we're talking about God? It's a simple truth. It's simple. It's a simple truth. We say, yes, God is one. And unfortunately, I believe that a lot of Christians say, yes, God is one, but he is three and one. And again, the Jews thought this was the biggest heresy in the world. And Jesus affirmed the Jews' belief in saying that God is one. That God is one. It's simple. God is one. God is one. And for some of us, this may be some new material to help you further understand what you already believe. That's great. Some of you may already have this understanding that God is one and it's simple. And for some of us, uh, this idea of God being one and not three and one may be a total new idea that you never once thought about. Because a lot of Christians out there, they have no idea. They have no idea that people are out there preaching that God is one and that's it. That it's simple. It's a simple truth. I can only imagine if everyone knew what, what, we're, what we're talking about and preaching, I can only imagine that so many people would come to this faith that God is one. We can see this from the lips of Jesus himself. And so if, if you're someone out there who this is a total new idea, don't, don't trust what I say. Don't, don't trust what other people say, but, but look into it yourself. Look to see what God says about himself. Look to see what Jesus says about his God Go on a quest to discover who God is. Because we're going to be talking about all about God these next couple of weeks and talking about the basics of understanding God. Because it's eternal life to know God and to know his son, Jesus Christ. And so we need to have a basic understanding of who God is. 
And so again, if, if you're someone who, who you're not totally sure about this idea of God being one, seek into it yourself. Seek into it yourself. Oh, open, open the Bible for yourself. Don't trust what anybody says. Don't trust what I say. Trust the word of God alone. For I think that your eyes will be open and you'll see the simplicity of the message of God being one. We serve a good, good God. He is the only God. There is no other God. There is one God. Let's not change the meaning of one when we're talking about God. For God is one and we worship him as the only true God. Let me tell you, he is a good God, and he wants a relationship with each and every one of you guys. And again, that relationship is only made possible because of the mediator, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ serves as our mediator so that we can connect with God. Because without Jesus, our mediator, we, we, we would have no connection with God because our sin would separate us from God. And so as we transition into communion, if we could have the ushers come forward. As we'll be celebrating communion here. And Jesus again, the night before he was crucified, as he was celebrating uh, Passover uh, with his disciples, um, he, he, he took the bread and he said, this, this bread represents my body that is going to be broken for you. And the cup of wine or, or the juice, it represents the blood being poured out for us. We serve a good God, the one true God, and he loves us so much that he sent his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we can enjoy enjoy the, the fellowship in the coming kingdom of God where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And we'll be able to see God face to face. We'll be able to see Jesus face to face. We'll be able to, to meet in fellowship with our, with our fellow loved ones who gave their life over to God. This is what we celebrate with communion and remembering the most perfect gift of love, of sacrifice, and God sending his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our bread, for, for our life, for our sins. And so again, as we celebrate communion and we eat of this bread, the bread represents his body. His body that was broken and crushed for our iniquities, for our sins. And the cup that we will drink, it represents the blood being poured out for us so that we can have that relationship with God and we can be connected and uh, united with him in his coming kingdom. We, we have an awesome faith, an awesome God, the only true God who loves us and sent his son, the perfect son, the one mediator between us and God, Jesus Christ himself. And it was God's plan all along to have Jesus crushed for our iniquities and for our sins so that we can enjoy the fellowship and the communion. So let's pray over the bread. Father God, I just thank you for the gift of your son. Father, I just, uh, I regret that your son had to be crushed for our iniquities, for our sins. But Father, we, we cannot be more thankful, we cannot be more grateful that you had a plan for us all along, a plan to be united with you in your coming kingdom. And Father, I just pray over this bread that we can all be re reminded of the sacrifice of you and your son
as your son was crushed on that cross for our sins and for our iniquities. And Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.